Hello and welcome back my partners in crime, welcome back to Murder Analyze for another true crime. Now this crime is the latest sort of up to date version of the, this case which is the David Fuller case, right? The double murder, murderer, the necrophiliac, he's, he's just an awful man. I, I don't even want to use the word man really, monster I think is the only good word for this man. So listen, before we go any further there's a serious warning what goes out with this case you know this is graphic this case it has to be because as you know I'm not going to hold back we need to tell the whole story the whole truth about this man so we can understand really what this case is and these cases are all about when it contains these sort of killers so there is a warning that goes out with this you know it's, it, if this case is not for you then please there's plenty more on Murder Analyze that you can watch um, in this case of David Fuller, we're also going to bring up the double murders, and that is the bedsit killer or uh, murders that happened in 1987. And this is how Indian David Fuller was caught. 1987, when he'd done these two murders, of course he wasn't caught for 34 years later. And that was down to DNA and the advancements in DNA. And as I always say, thank God for DNA, because this man would not only have not been caught for that he would have got away with that murder because he thought he had really for 34 years we wouldn't then have not also known about what else he was doing within these hospitals that he worked as as a um, electrician in these hospitals he had access to all over these hospitals he had a swipe card all over these hospitals he could get into but the main part that he wanted to get into was the morgue so listen we are dealing with crimes against the living and crimes against the dead right here now his victims what we know of so far um from the people in the morgue from the unnamed because i'm not going to name them there's so many and i just i think it's a bit disrespectful but they range from the age of nine year old to 100 year old and they were all female victims there when we talk about the case of the bedsit murders these are horrific crimes in themselves let alone what this man went on to do after that so we're going to talk about lots of different things in this video and in this case because it, it's a weighty case right and you to do it justice you have to tell it all now on the 4th of uh, November this year, so like last week, a few days ago, because it's the 9th of November today, uh, David Fuller was back in court and facing another 16 uh, counts um, of offences towards dead bodies, but also that was on 23 victims within this hospital. This case is ongoing. I've left this case quite long actually, because um, this case was actually broke in 2020, but when you have a look at this case, and you, the, this case is still open, right? this is an open investigation, even though this man did receive 30 odd years in prison, and he will probably die in prison, because this is the only place for him to die, but there are more things coming out about David Fuller, really, daily coming out. We will go through how the police have had to build this case up, we're going to go through the evidence of how one David Fuller was caught, for the um, bedsit murders. Then we're gonna go through how he was caught for all the abuse that he inflicted on all these dead women and children that he abused. 
um, in these hospitals and we're going to talk about how and and that we're also going to talk about necrophilia right in quite detail what it is why they do it we're also going to talk about serial killers that are linked to this sort of behavior and this includes David Fuller here because we know that he had murdered two women back in 1987 but what we don't know was that his first murders or was that his last murders my prediction is probably there's many more there's many more really I think and a lot is going to come out about David Fuller over the next few months and next few years as this case expands the police in this case and usually as you know I knock the police when it comes to certain investigations but not only certain police forces but most police forces are involved in this case forensic science is involved we have you know digital forensic um things going on because the, the stuff that was found after he was you know charged with or you know arrested under the suspicion of murdering these two girls in number eight uh, in 1987 of course then they search the house because they want potential evidence of them victims in that house and gosh what they found in this house shocked everybody actually I think it shocked every part of law enforcement um, all the you know criminal barristers everyone everyone that you speak to about this case is shocked because no one knew what they was going to find when they walked in to David Fuller's home in 2020 and found that he had been or what he had been doing for many many years investigating the murders of Wendy Nell and Caroline Pierce in 1987. Okay. As part of that investigation, you've been linked as a suspect, both geographically and forensically. Okay. If you listen to what my colleagues are going to say to you. All right, David. You're under arrest on suspicion of the murders of Wendy Nell and Caroline Pierce in 1987. Do you understand? You do not have to say anything, but it may harm your defence if you do not mention, when questioned, something which you later on in court. Anything you do say may be given in evidence. You are being arrested to secure and preserve evidence by means of questioning. So we can conduct searches, so forensic samples can be obtained, and to prevent your disappearance. Do you understand? Also. So, 
thank you. 0605, I've got a Around to the left, I suppose. Tape saver. I'm sorry, yeah. Just push through. Suspicion of murder. In nineteen eighty seven there was two murders, one of Wendy Nell and there were two murders. Uh, one of Wendy Nell and one of Caroline Pierce. There's been an investigation and they've now been able to forensically link David Fuller to them offences. So we therefore attended his address today and he was arrested on suspicion of the murder of Wendy Neal and Caroline Pierce in 1987. So this case is graphic, right? So before we go on to it, just take the time to think whether you'd like to continue watching this. If not, plenty more to watch. If you are sticking with me for this case, I think this is going to be quite a long one, this case, but it is very interesting, really interesting. So, this is the David Fuller case. So before we go any further, let's start now to break down this case right from the beginning. I'm going to start now with the murders of Wendy Nell and um, Caroline Pierce. Listen, these are horrific crimes in themselves before we get on to anything else. So this is what's happened to these poor girls. The first to be killed was Wendy. You know, this beautiful girl, she was um, a manager of this super sort of snaps where David Fuller um, is now known that he would go into this shop because he was a keen photographer as well. And that sort of shows itself later on as well. And he would have seen her in these shops, it, he had frequented these shops, we know that. And um, I think in them days we didn't talk about stalkers too much in 1987, you know, we, we, I think the word stalker really wasn't around then in them days, but he had actually stalked this girl, it's quite obvious that he had. Now there was also a few burglaries going on this at uh, this time in 1987 and before um, that around this area of Tunbridge Wells. A few days before Wendy's murder, and a neighbour a few doors down and another bed, uh, bed sit on the ground floor, bed sit, had had a knock on the door and, and when she answered the door a, m a man stood there and he said to her, you shouldn't be leaving your windows open. 
you know, things are going on around here. He said, and also you shouldn't really be leaving your bedroom window open. Now, this really worried this woman. She found this man to be quite intimidating and she sort of like, sort of quickly got away from him and shut the door. But it really worried her because there was break-ins going on around this area at the point at that time. And so she made sure from that day that all her windows and stuff were shut. Now, it probably looks like from the description that she had given, um, you know, in the ID photographs that was out there, and you'll see this photograph up on this slide, uh, very similar to David Fuller in his younger years, and you'll see some photos of him. Now, a few days after that, Wendy was out with her boyfriend, and um, they hadn't got to that situation in a relationship where they was living together he lived at home she was content to live on her own she had a lovely little job you know as this manager in these super snaps but they had been out on that evening had some drinks and stuff and her boyfriend had then took her home they give her a bit of a kiss at the door and everything he said good night see you tomorrow and um that was the last that he ever saw of wendy it turns out that Wendy's downstairs ground floor bedsit had a window in her bedroom and in them days it was the old wooden windows you know with the latch and stuff but the latch had been painted over and painted over so much that it, she was unable to really lock that window shut that window properly and so when she was out that night this is now what we found out about this case all these years later when she was out with her boyfriend that night and he dropped her off home, she didn't know that Swilla, in the time that he had been watching her, knew that she had gone out. He broke into that flat through that back bedroom window, the window that couldn't be locked. And he had remained in that house and waited for Wendy now to come home. So as Wendy said goodbye to her boyfriend on that evening, see you tomorrow, love you, all this sort of stuff that she was saying. After she shut that door, we don't know the full facts of what's happened to Wendy, to tell the truth, but David Fuller was in that home and ready and waiting to kill this girl. We do know that from her body, the attack on her was brutal. Her, her head, I think, was literally smashed to pieces. There was blood everywhere in this property. It wasn't really known at that time whether she was sexually assaulted while she was alive or after she was dead. We now know it was after she was dead. Now, when we talk about people that like dead bodies and many, many serial killers kill just to have the dead body because of they can't, it's that rejection they don't want and stuff you know this body can't say no but he really abused this woman before he killed her you know he beat her so badly so he wasn't interested in the way she looked he wasn't interested in the kill itself he was only interested in Wendy Nill after she was dead and that's when he assaulted that body and left that body the next morning of course Wendy didn't turn up for work, which was unusual. 
um, the work then rang the boyfriend and everything else trying you know to get hold of Wendy and see if anything was happened her boyfriend then turned up at Wendy's bedsit and that's where he found this horrific scene of this poor girl who was murdered on that day. So Wendy Nail's murder was in um, June of 1987. Now five months later, I think it's November 1987, another girl now is attacked and found dead. Now the facts of her case are, this is this young girl and this was Caroline Pierce. Now she was a young girl again, she worked also in the same sort of area as Wendy and it was also known now that um, David Fuller frequented her place of work as well. Now she was a waitress at this Buster Brown's sort of restaurant. Um, on this day she had been out with her friends in this evening. Um, she didn't have a boyfriend, there was no issues with anyone that disliked her, there was no reason why this girl would just go off and everything on her own. So she was at work on this night, she was then went straight out from work with her friends, they um, had great drinks and everything, she got a taxi home to her bedsit as well and um, I think a neighbour did say when the police started to investigate this in 1987 that they had heard screams but when they looked out they couldn't see anything. So again how she was reported missing was the work. She hadn't turned up for work, this was unusual for her, her friends or family hadn't seen her, again very unusual for this girl. She had no enemies, that was clearly took out and when the neighbour a few days later said about the scream that they heard, they then knew that Caroline had been abducted but they didn't know who by. So the first sort of prime suspect I suppose in her case would have been the taxi driver because he would have been the last person to see Caroline on that evening in November. Now November in the UK as we know gets dark quite early but this was around nine-ish time at night when she'd come back from a few drinks and everything else and it turns out she'd got out of the taxi and the taxi driver had seen her walk to her front door and then he drove off. He said and stated that he hadn't seen anyone in that street at all really, nothing suspicious at all. He was soon, you know, um, take it, took out the equation for anything to do with her murder at all. About two weeks later though, Caroline's body, again beaten so badly, but she was dumped about 40 miles away. And I think that was in Romney. Um, now, again, when we look back now on how David Fuller knew this area and knew these girls even though he denied any knowledge of them at first was that he had frequented both places of their work so it looks like he had stalked them he had broke in to um, Wendy's apartment or bedsit at that point and murdered her and then sexually abused her after death he had done also the same with Caroline he had literally grabbed her from behind as she was entering her property. He had then, you know, I suppose incapacitated her in some way, probably by hitting her because that what he was well known for, then took her body um, and then abused her, beat her badly before then raping her after death. That's what he had done, leaving her body though 
in this ditch area in um, Romney, about 40 miles away. So he's always said, um, well, there was no evidence at that time in 1987. Let's start there. There was DNA was in its infancy. Even though they had done their job, the police at that point had done the investigations, even after Caroline's body was found. You know, it's shocking, isn't it, for these families. Both these girls had had items taken from them, like their keys, their wallets, and different stuff. And now, as we know, when we talk about these sorts of killers, they are trophies that these men take and you know predators take from their victims um, to remember these crimes by. Now, the difference with David Fuller is he didn't wasn't really interested in the kill. It was only once they were dead that he was interested in these bodies. So it didn't matter how much he brutalised this these girls while they was alive. You know, he just wanted to kill them and he was just going to do that in the most violent way possible. So then afterwards his gratification come from having sexual intercourse and penetration of a corpse. That's where his fulfilment come from. It wasn't the kill itself and that's what separates him from many, many killers like this. But there are certain killers and we've heard a lot, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer and other killers like this that have used this and I think um, Edmund Kemper was another one that didn't really abuse these bodies until after they were dead because of the reason being the rejection. Are they going to laugh at me? You know, this sort of thing. They're not confident in that way with women. So their thrill comes not from the kill itself, but the dismemberment or the um, what they do to their body parts or their bodies after death. Now this is David Fuller to the T, really. But in 1987, as I said, there was no DNA as such, but the police did a great job. They collected all the evidence. With um, Wendy's murder, there was, she was wearing a white blouse at the time, and there was a footprint on that white blouse, uh, on the blood stain, because there was blood everywhere in Wendy's um, bedsit when she was murdered. It was that horrific. There was also some other forms of DNA with the DNA also from Caroline was on the tights, the things that had been removed and on some of her clothing as well. She was put into a ditch and also her body was out into the elements for about a couple of weeks. So it was difficult at that point that the police knew whether the assault on these um, victims was done prior to their death or after their death, you know, the sexual assault part of it. And um, as time had went on and this police really from 1987 as we had been advanced don't we into how now we use technology and stuff and DNA advancements to catch some of these you know killers of these old cold cases now I'm not saying that this case was put on the shelf and left it certainly was not but when it took years for this sort of DNA to come up it was reopened again this case and it's called the bedsit case because it's easier to combine these two kills. They knew they was linked by the state of the bodies and the way they was killed. They knew they came from the same area, they worked in the same sort of high street, so they were linked in many, many different ways. And if you're looking at profiling of certain cases, you're going to look for any link you can. They didn't know each other at all, but they were linked through many, many things and also through the MO of this of their kills. That's what linked them. So as the police in 1990s,
they also reopened his case as DNA got a bit better but again there were still no hits on the DNA itself. Now as we now advance up and this case was then continued to be reopened and re-looked at because they knew they had evidence that they had collected and kept and stored really well that they could continually look now for this killer because some killers don't have their DNA put into a database because they've got no criminal record but someone in their family may have uh, at some point someone would have had their DNA put in there and I think this case when it broke in 2020 when they turned up then at Stephen uh, at David Fuller's house to um, arrest him on suspicion of the murder of these two girls that was what's happened he was caught through DNA and he was also really the evidence was then overwhelming against this man because then the photographs and I'll show you some photographs of him wearing a pair of like tennis shoes and where he was out on picnics in these areas where these girls were murdered he also said he'd never had any correspondence or didn't know them he'd never frequented any of these places it was actually proven to be a lie that he was there he had seen these people he may not have been seen talking to them but he was definitely frequenting places where they had worked so he would have seen them he is a stalker that's what he did he stalked these victims before he then potentially merged them it also turns out that in 1970 to 1973 he was also a thief uh, he'd done a lot of breaking entries in this area and he was probably the one that was doing them sort of breaking entry to these properties in this area at that time and so we don't know what else David Fuller had done prior to the murders of these two girls it's unclear because as we go back in time really DNA was even less than it was in 1987 so this is why this investigation on David Fuller continues on. So now we have, and as you can see by the CCTV, that we now have the police knocking on David Fuller's door in East Sussex in 2020 to arrest him under suspicion of the murder of these two young girls. Now this is what's happened after they've arrested David Fuller in this property. He has been taken to the police station and as you can see by the CCTV footage from the body cam of the police, the police are explaining to him that part of that search uh, of this arrest would also then warrant the search of his home and that would have been for potential evidence in relation to them two crimes, right? these two murders in 1987 of these two poor girls. What they didn't expect to find when they went into this property really and done this search was in an upstairs bedroom that he had used as an office was this cabinet and you can see this cabinet at the back of this cabinet stuck to the back of this cabinet was um, these discs and stuff plus everything else now I'm going to tell you now there was absolutely millions millions of images of lots of different things including um, indecent images of children held within this array of digital you know forensic evidence really. Stuff on the back of that one as well. I've got the body worn on it literally as it's happened. Well 
on the back of his oh. chest of drawers, it looks like he's got some hard drives in there, I would say. Oh. But they're stuck to the back oh. of the chest of drawers. Oh. Let's have a look. Yeah, it's a sand disc one that I can read there at the front, so that's a hard so as I said this case really broke then into something else didn't it? When we now look at David Fuller when he was arrested and took to the police station he denied even knowing these girls and everything else. The DNA that was collected and I think it was a partial match to someone probably related to him in I think uh, not 2019 this enhanced DNA testing was done which then had to dwindle down from about a thousand people down to about 90 people and then down to this one single person. So the police really knew by just the DNA that they had this man but still to get this man on a charge of murder um, from 1987 they needed even more evidence than that really and I think the main bit of evidence of DNA came from the tights that um, Caroline was wearing. I think I got that wrong. Caroline was naked apart from the tights and it was the tights that had the DNA on it. Then that also linked to the murder of Wendy Neil, or Neil, sorry, Wendy Neil. That also linked them cases together, then that DNA. And then as I say, this DNA then profile of the killer was then really dwindled down over time and they've done a lot of work on this the police and other police forces all helped actually in this case um, right up until today um, and that's how they really got him on that the shoe print that was found on the blood with the blood on this white shirt was also linked to David Fuller and as you can see by the photo he had a photo of himself lying having a picnic laying on the grass having a picnic very close to where he disposed of Caroline's body in this Romley 40 miles away from the first murder of Wendy and that's really how they got that the shoe print was indented into the shirt bloodstained these killers in 1987 and before wasn't thinking about advancements in DNA that wasn't on their mind it certainly wasn't on David Fuller's mind was it really when you think that he left such evidence around lucky he did as now we need to go on to talk about the next part of this crime as this case now breaks into something that's so extraordinary so disgusting you know so shocking I think to us as decent human beings and that also have respect not just for the living but for the dead this case then starts to evolve into something that this country has never seen before really and we are now talking about this necrophilia and we're talking about someone like David Fuller that was an electrician, he trained himself up as an electrician and done lots of other things, he was keen on photography he'd worked with certain bands with his first wife and that you have to think this man had a life outside of the murders that he done. When we look at predators like this, I suppose, we have to think, and we always say it, that they are manipulators. This man was a master manipulator. He had a double life, 
remember the mask of sanity, you take that mask off, what lies beneath was David Fuller's true character was underneath that mask and my gosh, when that mask come off, you know, it's so shocking, isn't it, really, when you think about what this man has done and potentially what he has, we don't know he's done, and potentially if he wasn't doing that, how bad this man would have really been in our society. One of the probably the most dangerous men, I would say, um, living on this planet today. That's how I would describe um, David Fuller. Absolutely shocking evil to the core, this man. So as we go on now to this, this, this part of the case may be, and I'm going to put another trigger warning out of it, it may be a bit upsetting for some people watching this part of the case. So when the police raided the property and they took out all this evidence and you'll see photos and you'll see also the CCTV bit that I put on about them searching this property and what they found. They was really only looking, I suppose, for the trophies or some part or some evidence that would link David Fuller to the murders in 1987 to really give them a really solid case to arrest, arrest him really and charge him and make sure he went to prison for a long time for the murders of these two young girls. What they didn't expect to find really that shocked them to the core really was um, is that he had been working in this hospital in Tunbridge Wells. Uh, the hospital was now since closed and then he moved on to the next hospital in Tunbridge Wells um, to where he would um, get into the morgue and do things to the dead. Now this case is difficult to explain because people automatically think, well how is he going to do this in a major hospital? David Fuller knew what he was doing, right? He knew what he wanted to do. So he had trained himself up, even though he had at one point been arrested for break-ins on these properties that we talked about earlier. Um, and he was let off really with a caution for that. He wasn't really charged with anything and let go. So as the years went on, he had trained himself up he had no criminal record that would have given him access anyway to work for hospitals and stuff like that. He had trained up as this electrician and he had focused his training on working in these hospital environment, so as an electrician. Now most of the people that have worked with David Fuller in, at this time had said he was a lovely bloke. You could ask him to put a light bulb in and he, he would do it with a smile. He loved it. But David Fuller always used to like the late shifts. He used to like to go in on call or late at night after the morgue staff and everyone had gone home. You know, they work certain hours unless they're on call or something, very rare. But this was the time. Now, most um, hospitals are cameraed up. They are, maybe not so much in the early days when David started to do what he would do. but most definitely you know recently and especially in the new hospital that he moved to there would have been cctv within that morgue part as well now there's certain areas in a morgue that cameras were not allowed because what they were saying is part of this morgue is where um you house the dead right 
and you want to be respectful to them so there shouldn't be any way that anyone should have any access to seeing certain issues that go on when you are dead and you know you're doing autopsies and stuff like that they was a part of that morgue that wasn't cameraed up really David Fuller knew that you know he knew that but when you really think about this you think that as you know an organization like the NHS and everything else haven't put cameras in this morgue out of respect for the dead is now abused by a person that has so disrespected the dead that that's the part of the hospital that he used to abuse these victims. Shocking isn't it really? So I'm going to go back to this search and this stuff that they found on this house to explain to you how this man was caught for that because if there's no CCTV footage ever in this part of this morgue how did they know that Fuller was abusing dead bodies and penetrating dead bodies, sexually assaulting and everything else these dead bodies? How did they know? Right, so on the computers and stuff that they found and the disks they found in um, David Fuller's home when he was searched for their murders, they found about 14 million different images. Now some of these images were phones and um, cards and you know you know cards that come out of phones on them he had filmed himself abusing these dead bodies uh, with graphic detail so what these police had to do because don't forget no one knew what they was going to find this is the most shocking thing I think with this when we talk about the police and the job of the police and certain areas that you know in forensic what they have to deal with and digital forensic evidence like this you are looking at the worst things possible really when you're talking about 14 million different images and videos and everything else that this man had so what happened was what the police had to do was when they found these sort of images they would have to zoom in onto the bodies, usually on the feet, because on the feet there's a tag. That is your identity, right, when you're dead. There's a tag on there with your name, your date of birth, everything, date of death, everything on that tag. So these officers had to really look at these videos, go in depth into these videos to try and zoom in on these identification cards on the feet or big toe attached to the body to find out what bodies this man had been abusing. Now, um, these bodies ranged, and people, they're people, ranged from the age of nine years old, all girls, to the age of 100. This was his victim's range. Now this comes in a bit later as well when we look at how you're going to profile someone like this or catch someone like this. It's shocking isn't it really when you think this man, this is the age range. Now I'm going to be quite graphic here. Right? One of the victims, I'm not going to use their names because I do have respect for the dead. One of the victims was a young girl. She had 
rung her mother and said that she was on her way home from a night out and she had had a row with someone. And then the next thing the mother knew, that you know she had been told that her daughter had died by falling off a bridge. So the mother's grief was one that she suspected that her daughter's you know, death was suspicious anyway. She had just been into that morgue and um, spent time, two hours with her daughter and everything else, um, trying to say goodbye and get over her death. Now when you have a suspicious death, or when someone's flagged up a suspicious death, these bodies would stay in the morgue longer than they normally would before then they're sent out to the undertaker. Plus, because it was suspicious circumstances and she had fallen or been pushed from a bridge, you can imagine the state of the body. Also, though, there would have been an autopsy on that body um, to find out really what had happened to her and how she died, because she had died in, you know, circumstances that were unusual. This is just one of these victims of hundreds. So the mother was, you know, really, I suppose, comforting her and trying to say goodbye to her and everything else, and she left. A few days later, that mother got a knock at the door after this all came out from the police, informing her that her child was one of the victims of David Fuller in the morgue. The woman lost it, to tell her the truth, she lost it as many I think everyone would really have lost it. She'd not only lost her child, she believed in suspicious circumstances. Her child then you think is in safety, in a mall being looked after, but it wasn't. The child, her daughter, this young girl, was being abused by David Fuller time and time again. He didn't just abuse them once, it was time and time again. Now the state of these bodies, as I said, this girl's fallen or been pushed from a bridge. So she's not going to look like what her pictures or the press have been putting out. She's also gone through an autopsy at this point. She's also now been kept in the morgue for some time, even though she was frozen. This is the sort of person, this David Fuller, this man was abusing these sort of victims. And when we talk about the children that he was abusing, also on the discs that were found were many, many indecent images of children. And he was also abusing corpses in this morgue of children as young as nine. But then we go to the other extreme, don't we, now? So it's hard, isn't it, with this profile of this killer, because it was anyone it was any woman, any age, you know, anything. His oldest victim was 100 years old. 100 years old. We're talking about here, in this case, children, mothers, daughters, grandmothers. These were people, you know, that were loved. They were laid, really, or getting ready to be laid to rest. And some of these after this abuse have of course been laid to rest because no one knew what was really going on in this morgue for a very long time. It's so shocking this case when you think about it 
this man. Now, at the moment, and I think on, the, as I said, on the 4th of November this year, um, a few days ago, David Fuller was back in court for another 16 um, charges against 23 other corpses from this hospital. So this case will continue to go on. Plus, this case is also still open because now when we look at someone like David Fuller and the potential that he had in his time span to of her killed, you know, murdered many, many more people. And so now this case is going, and this is why I don't think this is going to be the last thing of David uh, Fuller that we hear. It's just a continuing, ongoing case, but so shocking. But let's talk about now the background of David Fuller. And as we talk about the background, we're going to look at the FBI categorization for serial killers and how we should be looking for now these sort of killers. Also, when we talk about necrophilia and everything, what does it really mean? These are some of the most dangerous killers on our planet, these. Most serial killers, as I've said right from the beginning, start off with fantasies, don't they? What David Fuller did was fulfill every fantasy he ever had. So, <laughs> David Fuller. Let's talk about him. So David, he was actually, he was classed as a respectable man. He had been married. Uh, he was a father of four, actually. And he lived in this quite cul-de-sac, I think, in East Sussex. And normal, everyday man. As I said, most people liked him. And we can't forget here that his wife or second wife that he was with now had been with him for quite a long time. She was also in the court for um, the first few days, as was his son and as was his brother. That's how unbelievable to them this, you know, charges were against this man. They couldn't believe it. And as I've also said that David Fuller is an absolute multiple, you know, master manipulator, isn't he? Really, when you are charged with a you know of murder and or suspected murder and then they find this sort of stuff he's denied 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 all this stuff so you have this wife now that's believing him you have his children believing him his family believing him his neighbors believing him something must be wrong can't be the David we know that's how good this man was. Well, what a bloody shock they had, I tell you. And you have to really take a minute, don't you, when we think about this married man. You know, <laughs> this poor woman, the wife, knowing nothing. And the danger, let's talk about the danger to this wife. When we are talking about dead bodies, and I always say, listen, the dead won't hurt you. It's the living that you need to be worried about. But that's not the case if you are abusing a dead body. Because as it states in the name, you are dead. And as you die, and you're dying even at some point, your body is already starting to break down. The bacteria in that body now is breaking down the organs and breaking down everything else. 
which causes bacterial diseases and stuff that you can pass and they are highly dangerous. Some bodies, whether you are uh, abusing these bodies or not, can be dangerous. So the, the, he never thought about his wife in that way that he could have passed on diseases to this woman because obviously they were sleeping together, they had kids, right? They had kids. So, you know, he never thought about what he was actually doing to this woman, really, did he? Because he didn't care, because he's a narcissist, really, because most killers like that are. It's all about themselves. To tell you the truth, I really believe with this man that it was all an illusion to him. These were pawns, weren't it, in his game of life to hide what was really under that mask. This woman, the wife, the girlfriends, everything else he had was just an illusion, wasn't it? It was to make people believe that I'm a normal bloke, living a normal life. I'm a nice man, but you're doing all this, all this behind the scenes. The things they found on this man's computer were depraved, right? They were the most sickening things that you can see, not just what he did to these dead bodies and the, you know, the majority of it that was about graphic images. It was about graphic images and abuse of children. There was everything on this man. You are living, this poor woman, how she even, sat in the courtroom and I actually didn't sit there for very long I'll tell you that now once all this started coming out and four days into that trial this man says I did murder them two girls but then tried to go for diminished responsibility you know now you're thinking hang on a minute I've now been married to a murderer let alone when all the rest of it comes out how must this woman have felt how must her children have felt, this man's children have felt at this time when all this is coming out of court? Listen, some people in this court who wasn't related to this man had to leave the courtroom because of the graphic details of what was coming out about the crimes that this man committed. Believe it or not, he ain't married anymore, right? This woman, in her own words, has said she couldn't even go back to that house after finding out. It must be awful for them and they are victims again in this case as are the living and the dead people that this man has affected it throughout his whole life I think it's an absolutely despicable he must have a soul which is so black really you know when you 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 can't describe really the, the crimes that this man has done and, and the pain and the suffering that this man has put out to these people. You just you just can't describe it. It's just shocking. So in David's earlier years, I suppose he had a keen interest. He was a bird watcher, was he really? And a photographer, was he really? Because now we already know that he was a stalker because he'd stalked these girls. We know that. When he was going off doing his bird watching and his photography and everything else, what else was this man doing? This is now, this case opens up now for the potential of what this man could have done and the access that this man could have done, not only to the dead, but also to the living. Really, it really opens up to think this man is definitely a serial killer and we'll go into that in a little while with the FBI and stuff on their profiling stuff. But he is, and from a very young age, we have to think he would have been in his 30s when he 
committed the murders of Wendy and Caroline in his 30s. What had he done prior to that? What had he done? That, don't forget, the murders of them girls wasn't, you know, solved for 34 years after their murders. So what had he done prior to their murders? Quite a lot. Quite a lot, I think. Not alone, not let alone in the morgues and everything else and the hospitals that he was doing. But what had he done? We know he's a thief. We know he had done break and entry. We know there was some very creepy stuff going on around the things he'd done, knocking on people's doors, telling them to shut their windows. He was an intimidating man. So this bird watching, this photography, again, another ruse, another way to normalize and meet people and photograph people because he's there, isn't he? He's a photographer, I'm a bird watcher. Really, don't believe a bloody word of it. Now what really makes this man dangerous, and I think he's actually married three times to tell you the truth. I don't think the marriages lasted long, but one of these marriages was this his second wife, and this was Sally, and he married her in 1985. Don't forget, in 1987, he had murdered two girls. So he was then like this unofficial photographer, right, for this um, band, rock band, London rock band, called um, Cutting Crew. And he followed them on tour around with this wife, Sally, taking, you know, their photographs because he was the unofficial photographer. Again now, we have him having access now to lots and lots of young girls when they are following these bands around. Lots and lots of young girls. Now, believe it, my nephews are in a band, as you know, the Subways, and I've been to some of their gigs, and these girls are just, like, everywhere. But if you are a potential killer, like we know that David Fuller is, right, you have access now to people drinking, having fun, you know, um, dancing, and God knows what else they were doing in, in these clubs with these um, things. Uh, but you just don't know. But it was the potential for him, wasn't it? These are young girls, potential victims here. And he had been on tour with this cutting crew um, band. And to tell the truth, I haven't looked them up, and I should have, and I haven't. But they were on tour. He went with them. And this is a really worrying aspect, because we now know that he killed in 80, 1987. This was 85. So, and he'd been doing this a few years. How many more victims is there, really? This is why the police now, I have opened up this case even more to look at the missing, a lot of people go missing, and we do a lot of missing cases, they go missing and their bodies are never found. How many more has this man done, really? And it's through this sort of knowledge and access about his background that we can now look at potentially how much more this man has done. But there's a very good clue in that um, I think and everywhere this band had toured and everywhere they had toured with this photographer, David Fuller, we need to be looking in them areas for victims of David Fuller. Listen, he loved a nurse. I think his last wife, is the final wife that's got rid of him now because of what he is, was a nurse. 
right? He also was married to these people, but he also had extramarital affairs within that, and the longest uh, extramarital affair I think he had was two years, and that was with another nurse. Now, none of these women have ever said that this man was harmful in any way, was anything. They just said he was very nice. They couldn't believe actually what come out about this man. But that also tells you something about this narcissistic killer, doesn't it? It's all about him. Again, you know, not only is he sleeping with the dead, he's now, you know, having extramarital affairs. This man was all over the place. So do I think he, he had killed before and within this time that he was doing this um, abuse to these um, people in the morgue? Yes, I do. Absolutely. Because of his nature, because of his character, is showing you that this man has only got himself that he thinks about. Typical killer. No empathy, no care for anybody else. Literally, just all about himself. So these extramarital affairs, you know, he was getting it wherever he could, I suppose. And that, that included anywhere. Anywhere. This man, I think, if this man had saw you, liked you, followed you, photographed you, you know, stalked you, you was probably going to be dead at some point because he didn't want you alive. He couldn't handle that alive when he wanted to do things to you. He wants you to be dead. So he has total control, total power over you. You're not gonna reject him. You're not gonna ridicule him, are you? Because he's, you're dead. So he can do what he wants. That's where his kicks come from. That's where his gratification comes from. Not the kill, certainly not the kill, but the uh, abuse of the body after death. That's where his sexual gratification come from. That's, that's what he lived for, he thrived for. And I think you can tell this by the amount of images and videos of him abusing multiple, multiple corpses and the same corpse over and over again. He couldn't get enough. I can't express this enough. He couldn't get enough. The police were so shocked. You know, the, the prosecution, everyone that's had anything to do with this case is so shocked at the amount of abuse that he would inflict and the amount of times that he would do it to the same person. He couldn't get enough. I think to myself, you know, when you're talking about a case like this, and we're talking about necrophilia, if David Fuller didn't have access to them bodies, He's got the potential to be one of the biggest serial killers, I think, in the world. In the world. So maybe him doing that stopped him becoming that. Would he have been caught sooner? Probably, but I think a lot of people would have died before this man ever had got caught. So I think Stephen Fuller's last wife is, I think, uh, Mala, I think her name is in... Um, I think they were married in Barbados in 1999 and she was actually at home and then police knocked on the door and we've already talked about her experience and stuff but you can just see this man was a normal everyday man to society how he blended, how he infiltrated into society how he trained himself up how he probably even talked his way out of in the early days when he was out robbing houses you know and um, doing some creepy stuff in these houses 
in the Merlot days to only come out then with a caution. You know, this is the manipulation skills of a killer here in clear view. Because if he had had been arrested and charged and, and really charged and uh, spent time in prison for them robberies, which he clearly did in them early days, rather than getting a caution, things may have been different. He wouldn't have had access then to hospitals and stuff like that to get into these morgues. But as I say, if he hadn't had that access to get into these morgues, how bad would have David Fuller really been when we talk about the scale of the potential for him to murder live victims? So let's listen now and let's have a look at his charges and I'm going to have to read there out because there's just so many. As I said, these charges are from when he was first arrested right in 2020 um i think the charges and i think i may have put them in here the charges also that he had on the 4th of november this year were the extra 16 charges on the 23 other um bodies that were found so he had 10 charges this is at croydon crown court when he was first charged with this he had 10 charges under section 70 of the sexual offenses act he had um and that's 2003, relating to offences involving 10 um, identified victims, two charges under Section 70, and I want to go through what Section 70 is in a minute, Sexual Offences Act, relating to offences involving three unidentified victims, because this is not every video that these people have had to go through, and these poor people have to go through these videos, I feel for them. You couldn't detect who they were, right? You just couldn't. But you knew he was doing it to bodies. You knew they were different bodies from the ones he had done it to before. Then uh, two charges under Section 63 of Criminal Justice and Immigration Act relating to possession of the uh, extreme porno pornography in connection with 13 identified victims. Two charges under Section 63 of the Criminal Justice and Immigration Act 2008 relating to possession of extreme pornography in connection with 10 identified victims. Now, when we're talking about Section 70 of the Sexual Offences Act, that's to do with the dead bodies, right? That's to do with the penetration of a corpse. That's what it's to do with. Now up until 2003, that actually wasn't illegal in this country and I know that some states, as I've been looking through some states of America, still don't have legislation that makes this illegal. They're usually going to get you on something else, but it doesn't make it illegal in certain states of America. But in this country from 2003, this was when that became illegal and that's under section 70 of that act. When we're looking at, and, I, and people will say, you know, the Immigration Act 2008, the problem is with our laws are very old. So when we are trying to place certain laws into statutes, we have to find certain places. Now, a lot of these would be um, cybercrime laws now that are in this Immigration Act and come in all this sort of stuff. We have to fit them somewhere. It, it's not the greatest system, but to prosecute someone over like digital, you know, um, evidence like this, uh, where the downloads and stuff like this and indecent images of children, uh, you know, 
highly you know offensive or extreme pornography which you know is um, illegal these parts of it would be classed under that because we had to find somewhere as we evolve with our laws to try and put them in as I said it's not the best process but at least there's somewhere in there and that's why the Immigration Act 2008 that's why certain laws are in there because we've run out of room in our other statutes and stuff so we have to put them in where we can now as I said with Stephen Fuller and he was charged under section 63 and he was charged under section 70 um, now section 70 is that penetration right part of a corpse now that actual sentence only has a two-year sentence on it it's shocking isn't it really but when you think I suppose in 2003 and don't forget when you think about it David Fuller was actually doing these crimes way before that way before that but in 2003 it became um, part of our criminal justice system that you could get up to two, up to two years or a maximum of two years so you know really it, it's not great now there's been lots and lots of issues since this case came out and don't forget this case broke in 2020 we're now in 2022 and when I checked uh, section 70 of the act um, only the other day there it had been updated but the sentencing itself had not been it had been left at two years I don't think this is the correct way that we should be dealing with these sort of criminals I think there should be and a lot of people are asking for the maximum of 10 years um, to be put in this place of, of the two-year sentencing because of the gravity of what some of these potential criminals are, right? Also, it can be a deterrent because a lot of, you know, necrophiliacs, they only have the fantasies about it. But as I said, sometimes fantasies then come into reality as it gets more overwhelming for them. So maybe it may be a deterrent right it's also not socially acceptable as is with bestiality or anything else you know when we look at society we look down on these people so they hide it quite a lot really and I think I suppose this is why the act only gave him two years because one it's very difficult to get access usually to um, dead bodies and stuff and two um, you know most, most people are deterred and there wouldn't be that many cases up on it but in saying that, when we now have a case like this, which was extreme in the volume of corpses that were abused, it is not right to only have a sentence of two years imposed. Um, it has to be a lot harsher sentence. Also now, because this sort of necrophilia and serial killers are closely linked. So if we can potentially keep them in prison for longer we can then maybe investigate what else they had done while they're in prison if they're only doing two years and out of that two years you know if you're going to give them maximum they might only do a year good behavior they're out right but these could be potential killers that we are letting out on our streets so there's a lot to this law and lots of people are trying to change this and get this sentencing for this sort of crime up to you know to 10 years but at the moment, no, that doesn't seem to be happening, even though 
you know, the Home Secretary and everything and it's time, I think Priti Patel and the one before that said that they would do stuff. Listen, we need a government in this country that's actually going to do something about crime and get hard on crime and hard on this sort of crime because this sort of crime has the potential to be a lot more than what you see on the surface, usually underneath. There's a lot more going on with these perpetrators than just that. So let's talk about this necrophiliac. So let's talk about them, right? So it's an sexual attraction towards a sexual or a sexual act involving a corpse or corpses, as in this case. Listen, this is centuries old, this sort of crime. It's been going on for centuries. And we can say that years ago, and we've done some, haven't we, with H.H. Um, Holmes' case, where they were using corpses and buying corpses and everything. But H.H. H. Holmes actually also had a fascination for dead bodies, and tested many other serial killers. So you have sort of things going on here with different serial killers. As I said, we've got Dharma and also Dennis Nilsson loved dead bodies. Again, for the same reason when we talk about these you know, people that like that. With Dharma, he actually said that um, he, if he liked someone, he didn't have the confidence, did he, to... Um, go up and I suppose be himself with them unless they were dead that means he could have power over them he had power over their life they wasn't going to reject him um, they wasn't going to run away they wasn't going to laugh at him that sort of thing the same and also with Dennis Nilsson thought the same wanted to keep the bodies in a comatose sort of state and or, or dead state for many many days where he would then usually abuse his bodies and stuff it's well known. So I think with Jeffrey Dahmer as well is that he had, his mother stated in one of her interviews um, that when we have these cooling off periods where these killers are not killing, um, that you have, you know, um, certain breaks and, you know, this normal life sort of returns. But Jeffrey Dahmer has actually stated in, uh, in to his mother and other people, but then actually retracted that statement um, once he was sort of really into the you know popularity or what he thought he was popular with his fans um that he used to dig up dead bodies now he said in an interview that he only done it once that's actually untrue um he done it multiple times and he used to watch for um you know the what he used to call warm corpses or you know just newly dead being put into the ground and this is what he told his mother and stuff at some point and then that's where that nine year sort of gap with him came from because he was controlling these urges because he was using um, dead bodies as a sort of you know secondary way of f fulfilling his dreams and that worked for him for quite a long while actually these fantasies of just lying next to and cuddling up to and abusing these dead bodies. That did work for him. We also have John Wayne Gacy that also went to work when he was about 19. He went to work in a morgue. He was sweeping the morgue. He was only young, even though he was having fantasies even then and he had also, you know, abused a couple of kids by that stage. But he did go and work in a morgue and he used to sweep the floor and he actually stayed in the morgue at the room at the back now he has said in his statements that yes he did um, one night decide that he wanted to interact with uh, a body in the coffin he actually got into the coffin with the person cuddled up to them but that shocked him so much because with John Wayne Gacy 
John Wayne Gacy was about the kill, he was about the torture, he was about the pain and suffering that he was causing that got him off really. You know, this was his sexual gratification was the kill itself. He wasn't really necrophiliac, he didn't really enjoy that. That's why he rung his father, asked could he come back home and he soon left there. He really did. So we have a lot of these serial killers and killers that have um, either been tried it or been part of it to try and I suppose, you know, um, I, I wouldn't say that even with John Wayne Gacy that he would have done it to sustain the rest of his crimes, you know, to make him stop doing it. I even think with Dorma, Dorma didn't have the chance um, at that point to, to kill as many as he did. So he used dead bodies, you know, you know, to um, when he couldn't get hold of the real thing, really. But with David Fuller, he was part of, he wanted the dead bodies. The kill wasn't, didn't matter to him. The state of them bodies didn't matter to him. How we killed didn't matter to him. It was what was left. It was about the control. It was about not being rejected. It was about him having total control over that person, no matter what state they were in. <clears throat> as long as they weren't breathing, that's all that mattered to him. Now, there's, and there's three types of uh, necrophiliac. There's homicidal, regular, and uh, fantasy, right? So they're the sort of different types. Now the thing is with serial killers and with necrophiliacs is that fantasy sometimes becomes so overwhelming that they have to take it into reality. They, there's no one stopping them, they're not stopping them. They, they need, they move on. Now the thing is with the homicidal ones, they are the ones the most dangerous, I think, serial killers or killers in the world today and this is why I think it's so important that we make sure that when we find criminals like this even in the early stages of their evolving into full-blown necrophilia is that we stop them that we help treat them early on or we start looking at what other crimes that they would have done because you know this how these people live and this clearly shows us with this David Fuller case that they can live amongst us right as normal people they evolve don't they into society worked in the hospital married to a nurse had kids lived in a little cul-de-sac very nice area actually Sussex he lived in perfect little life to the outside world but oh my god what was going on in that man's mind what he was doing to people was absolutely shocking. So I suppose when we get back to this necrophiliacs, when we talk about why they do it, as I've just said, it is really about, it is about there's no resistance, right? No one's laughing at you, no one's rejecting you, no one's saying of it's power, it's control, right? Something that you may not have in your life, these people seem to then home in on this because they can do what they want and there's no redress from the person. No one's fighting you, no one's laughing at you, no one's judging you, are they? You're just doing it and you're doing it and you are doing everything which is in your fantasy to do. Also, a lot of these people make sure that they have close contact to dead bodies or corpses or whatever else. They seem to um, be drawn to this sort of area 
And again, I think when we're now looking at profiling of other killers and stuff, we should be looking, you know, what they do for a living is a really important part of when profiling someone like this. So as I've said, the law, you know, uh, it, it's, it's, the law I think is the most frustrating part in this. Yes, we have David Fuller now. We have him, we have him for the murders that he's done and we're probably gonna have him sooner or later for murders that he's done prior to them or after them two murders. There's always going to be more cases coming out on David Fuller because this investigation is still ongoing. They're saying that they're looking at around 100, 200 to 1,000 um, victims of David Fuller within these hospitals over this period of time. He worked in one hospital for about 12 years. And as I said, he was on like a rampage, I suppose, really. It, there was no stopping this man. You, he just continues to do it. And I think if he could have lived in this morgue, um, that would have fulfilled him the most, to tell you the truth. That's how bad he was getting. Do I think the potential for this man to have done more things? Absolutely. You know, it's a shocking case, isn't it, this, when you think about, and I think we have to think and we have to sit and think, you know, one, for the victims, both um, the ones that were murdered and also the victims that are dead. Most of us have great respect for the dead. We have, you know, we have a system in this country where we look after our dead, where, you know, and as you know, um, and I've spoke about it many times that my dad was a grave digger and I was brought up around graveyards and stuff so I have no fear of it. I think the, also, uh, the other thing that I got out of where my dad worked in graveyards and stuff and we used to go and play and stuff, my uncle actually built his home in Ireland right next to a graveyard and, and, and it's beautiful um, because I have no fear of that sort of thing and I have such great respect for the dead. I think when we, you know, have to think don't we about the victims here we have to think about the families of these poor victims we have to think about the families who have now know what's happened to their loved ones when they were in this morgue we also have to think of the families now wondering are they going to get that knock at the door because this case continues to go through you know, and, and more research because there's so much material to go um, through in this case of um, David Fuller. There's just so much to go through. And I, I really feel for these people, you know, I really do. And I think we have to give respect, and I don't often say it, and there's usually I'm slating the police, aren't I? But when we look at this case, and I think they spent millions actually on this case, and it's many, many police forces have been brought in because you have to have liaison officers now working with these families because of the, now what they are learning about their loved ones, what's happened to their loved ones. There's been so much um, put in to this case and ongoing into this case. We also have to think of the forensic people and also the digital forensic teams in here that's had to go through 14 million or continue to go through these images and stuff you know without these people doing this sort of job 
you know, this man would have continued to go. So I think our thanks must go straight back to the detectives who really solved the crimes of both Wendy and Caroline in this. Because if they hadn't solved that crime, David Fuller would still be abusing corpses to today. And one of them corpses could have been a member of your family or my family of someone you knew. You know, the thought of that is just horrific to me. It was just horrific. I think one thing we should take from this case, and I always say in this case, you don't know who these criminals are, do you? We just don't. We don't know who they are. They are so, you know, entwined in our community. They are so manipulative, aren't they? They're so good at what they do that they make us feel comfortable around them, as did David Fuller with his family, his friends, his work colleagues. Not one person had one bad word to say against David Fuller. Not one. If anything, they couldn't believe it. And as we talk about serial killers and stuff and we look back, uh, I think it was in 2005 when the FBI started to say, let's change the category or categorization of serial killers. It used to be free kills and in some states and some countries it still is that. Um, and some countries it's also four kills before you're classed as a serial killer. I've always used the two kills and also the breaks in between. So this is where David Fuller, potential to be a serial killer, in my book he already is one. Because if you go under the new categorization of the FBI, we are looking at the two kills with the four or five month break in between, same sort of area, same MO. So we know he's done them crimes, we know. So his breaks or time lapses in between his um, kills were, could have been, just made up of him doing this in the morgue to these bodies. That could have been his fantasies fulfilled. I don't believe that at all. I don't. I really don't. Because I think when you have a man like David Fuller that's on tour with a rock and roll band, the potential for him to murder young women is very high, very high. And I think this is what makes me think this is not the last of, of David Fuller, absolutely not. So I believe that yes, he's a double murderer, but he is a serial killer and he is a necrophiliac. He was always a necrophiliac, but when did he start to kill? That's our main question. Listen, I know this case has been long and I know that we've gone over quite a few things. But our thoughts have to go really to the families, doesn't it really, in this case. Especially the families of Wendy and Caroline, whose lives were taken. and But finally, saw justice in 2020. And without that happening, the breakthrough then for the cases of the next, you know, load of victims really um, would never have been known without that breakthrough. So thank you for watching. Until the next time. Bye bye.